invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we are in week 2 of what we are calling our Blessed Series, and I hope that you've been praying by name uh, for your neighbors, your co-workers, uh, friends in your life that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you missed last weekend, or if you ever miss any of the messages, I encourage you to go online to our media page. We have all of the messages there. You can download our Champion Forest app, listen to the messages there. My notes are available for you where you can read, study them during the week. Uh, but last week I gave you nine specific prayers to pray, three uh, for the person that you want to come to know Jesus, and then six specific prayers uh, to pray over yourself as you consider uh, leading them to Christ, as you consider working on them, witnessing to them, nine prayers uh, all right there for you. And we said it all begins with B, just breaking out this blessed uh, word. The letter B means begin with prayer. And after the service today, you're going to have an opportunity uh, to go out to our lobby area. Uh, and we've got permanent markers there. And we're, what we're asking you to do is to get a marker and to write those names uh, down that you've been praying for, those in your circle of influence that you want to come to know Jesus, we want you to just write their name and just pray over them right there uh, in the lobby of our church. And our goal, our prayer in this is that God uh, would use your witness uh, to one day very, very soon, you're writing their name down, praying for them. Our prayer is that God would write their name down in the book of life very, very soon and maybe even use our church, you, as a way of doing that. And the picture I painted last week is how cool would it be for you to bring that friend with you one day and you walk them across their name. They don't even know it. And they come in here, they give their life to Jesus. It could happen, but it all begins in prayer. And so we'll give you instructions in that later. We're asking you to pray that God would give them a receptive heart, soft to the spirit of God, that God would give them a, a spirit of revelation, that their eyes would be uh, open, that their mind would be enlightened, and then a prayer of salvation, that God would save them. And I want to just remind you here at the outset of this uh, sermon today that this is what it's all about. Uh, it's all about People who are far away from God entering into a relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we should be doing anything and everything in our power to come alongside Jesus and his mission, which according to Luke chapters 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what it's about. Reaching those who are far from Jesus. The great commission. The final words of Christ before he left this earth. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Before we make disciples, God has to make converts. And this happens when his people go into their world, their spheres of influence, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Share the simple message of the gospel, that God loves them, that he expressed this love by sending his son Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, he died as a sacrifice, as a substitute for us on the cross. His blood was shed because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Our blood doesn't work. We have tainted blood. 
But Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, had pure blood. His blood was shed, and it's by faith in his sacrificial death on the cross. The Bible says he was buried. He was raised to life three days later, showing the world that he is God, that he has power over sin, power over death. And when we, by faith, trust in this message, our sins are forgiven, we're made right with God, we get a purpose in life that we never, ever had before. And this is the message that we herald. This is the message that we cling to. This is the message that should consume us. When you get up and you prepare to come to church on Sunday morning, the very first thought you should have is not, I sure hope they play my favorite song today. It shouldn't be, I sure hope my life group remembered the donuts. Your first thought shouldn't be, I hope I get a good parking spot so I can get out of here easily. It certainly shouldn't be, I hope the preacher doesn't go long today, okay? I know none of you have ever had that thought. Your first thought, as you prepare to come to church, your first thought should be gratitude, like we get to do this today, God. Thank you so very much that we get to join with other believers and praise you. And closely following that, our thinking should go to this. I wonder if we'll see baptism today. I wonder if we're gonna see outwardly and visibly a changed life, what someone has done in their life inwardly and trusting in Christ. I wonder if we're gonna see life change. I wonder if we're gonna see somebody walk that aisle today and give their life to Jesus. This is what it's all about. And this is what I so love about this blessed challenge that we're taking. Because I want for every believer in the room For every Christian here, I want you to experience the joy of seeing someone that you know, that you love, that you have a genuine friendship with that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to experience being a part of leading them to Christ. There's just nothing like it. Bishop of Liverpool in the late 1800s was a man by the name of J.C. Ryle. He said this, no true Christian ever goes to heaven alone. And I want that to be your goal. I want it to be my goal. I want it to be our goal as a church. That those 600,000 people within a 20-minute drive of this church, that we're taking as many with them, uh, with us to heaven as possible. And it all starts with prayer. We need to be praying by name for these people that we wrote down last week as often as possible. But what's the next step in the blessed challenge? We're going to look at the letters L and E today, and it's the title of the message. I'm just calling it Listen and Eat. Can I get a witness? All right. Now, listening and eating go hand in hand. In Ferguson's book that we're taking this blessed challenge from, Pastors Dave and John Ferguson, they write this. Active listening coupled with a good meal can catapult a casual acquaintance into a growing friendship. Now this is what we're after. If you remember from last week, we said this, that sharing Jesus 
in the context of a genuine friendship should be the easiest conversation in the world to have. But this is key. It has to happen in the context of a genuine friendship. The problem is the longer that we are followers of Christ, the less non-Christian friends we have. Now, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association estimates that the average person has seven people in their life that don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Again, these are neighbors, these are coworkers, these are friends, but that's just the thing. They're just in our life. They're acquaintances, but we've never brought them in to be friends. We have interactions with them, but we've never brought them in close. And so what's going to take, what's going to have to happen in order for a casual acquaintance to become a genuine friendship. According to this BLESS method that we're talking about, it involves the practices of listening and eating. Now, the question we need to ask is, did Jesus do this? And it was a practice in his life. In fact, we're gonna look at this passage here in just a moment in Matthew chapter nine. But did you know that Luke's gospel records 10 instances where Jesus sat down to eat with someone, to fellowship with them, to have a conversation over a meal. Think about the miracles in Jesus' life. His very first miracle happened at a wedding feast. It happened over a meal. His most famous miracle perhaps when he took that little boy's lunch couple pieces of fish few loaves of bread he took that little hebrew happy meal right and he multiplied it (laughs) multiplied it to feed thousands of people night before he was put to death what did he do he took his disciples to an upper room had a meal with them after he was resurrected he went to the sea of galilee and there on the shore of the sea of galilee he cook breakfast for his disciples. So much good can happen when we take time to slow down, invite people to a meal, listen to them, engage with them. Did you know Jesus asked some 300 questions in Scripture? He was always getting people to talk. Uh, to the blind man that he received, he slowed down long enough and said, what, what do you want me to do for you? He wanted to engage him in a conversation. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he said, would you get me some water? And that one question led to an incredible spiritual conversation. He constantly asked the religious crowds questions to get them to think about what they were saying, to think about how they were living. This was the practice of Jesus. He listened to others. He shared a meal with others. And oftentimes, it was combining these two simple practices that led to a spiritual breakthrough. Matthew chapter 9, we see this. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector, Levi, as he's known in Scripture. The Bible starts starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I mentioned last week, this is going to be one of the easiest, most practical, easy to apply message series that I've ever preached. And we're going to get to the application here in just a moment. But I just want to pull out, uh, highlight just a few thoughts as it relates to reaching those far from Christ and looking at this episode here in Matthew chapter 9. First, I want you to notice, and this is very important, you can write this down, it'll be on the screen for you, there is no one too far away for Jesus to save. I need to say that again. There is no one too far away from God for Jesus to save. No one. This needs to be underlined, it needs to be highlighted. There's no one that's too far away, no one that has done too much, sinned against God in such a way that the grace, mercy, and love, and forgiveness of God is not for them. This is what people would have thought about Matthew. They would have thought, if anybody's too far away, Matthew is. After all, he's a tax collector. Who likes tax collectors? Anybody written a thank you note to the IRS lately? Doesn't happen. Tax collectors at this time, they were, of course, hired out by the Roman government. And they would charge their own people an exorbitant amount of money. They would skim off the top. They were known as cheats. They were known as leeches. From a social status, tax collectors, they had wealth and resources. Uh, they were considered unclean, though, much like lepers. They couldn't attend religious worship, couldn't go to the synagogue. They could live inside the city, unlike lepers, but that's just because they had Rome's covering. It's interesting, when you read the Gospels, whenever you see the term tax collectors, usually the word sinners follows right behind it, and that's what we see here in verse 11. The reputation of Matthew said it all. This was no honest way to live. Matthew, Levi, as he's known in Scripture, would have been despised, would have been looked down on, the lowest of the low. And yet Jesus calls him and says, come and follow me. Doesn't just tell him to follow him, changes his life, saves him as we know, and invites him to be a disciple of his. Changes him in such a way, Matthew the tax collector becomes Matthew the New Testament writer. We're reading the book that bears his name. Absolutely amazing. Listen to me. Let's learn from Matthew's story. There is no one too far away from God that Jesus can't save. No one. Those, those names you're looking at on your, your list, I know some of you wrote those names down. You said, not that one. No way. But I'm telling you. No one's too far away. When I moved to Dallas, uh, I would office at the Starbucks across the street from the church there. And uh, I met a barista there, and we just became friends. And uh, she would wait on me, and I would engage her in conversation just to be a friend. And no, we could not have been more totally different, okay? This is the look that I've had for 20-something years right here, okay? Clean cut, shirt tucked in. I mean, this is, this is me. What you see is what you get. Uh, she was always wearing all black, uh, black hair, black dress. Um, she uh, was pierced 
up and nothing against that, but that's just who she was. And she had the tattoos going. I mean, she's just, we were very, very different. I worked at a church. She loathed the church. And I know that because she told me. She knew I worked there. And she'd tell me, she'd say, I worked here when that church was being built and I loathed the fact, that's her words, I loathed the fact that that church was being built across the street. We just developed a friendship and one day uh, she came and, and, and she uh, had written on a receipt and I wish I would have brought it. I keep it up in my study upstairs but I did bring you the words to it. Uh, and here's what she wrote on that receipt. Jared, she totally misspelled my name, butchered my name, but that's okay. She said, Jared, you know what it is I like about you? You've always had the decency not to preach at me. I appreciate that and think it's fabulous. After all, the love of Jesus shouldn't be sold like a salesman. And when or if I ever find it, it'll mean that much more. Thanks, Holly. Well, I took that receipt. I took that receipt and she, she became at the top of our prayer list. And uh, Debbie and I uh, had helped her. She had gone through a break in a relationship and had a young kid and we tried to just be friends to her and serve her. And it was probably four or five years later that I got an email one day out of nowhere from Holly Taylor. And she began to tell me, Jared, uh, I, I couldn't think of anybody else to email, but I wanted you to know I had some things going on in my life. And she told me about it. She said, I went over to a friend's house who also happened to be a Christian. And after three or four hours of just conversing with them, I want you to know that I gave my life to Christ. And she got glorious to save. And I said, now this is, this is Holly. And, and Debbie can attest to it. If you talk about far away, you couldn't get further away. And she told me that. And, and, and my first thought was, no way. Really? And I, and, and I said, well, I'm baptizing you, all right? And so I did. I got to baptize her in our church. And now Holly is a missionary over in France, uh, serving the arts world there. Uh, but it just goes to show you it just goes to show you that no one is too far away for Jesus to save. Secondly, this passage is great because it highlights that those far away enjoyed the company of Jesus. Think about that. Those that were far away from God enjoyed company with the Son of God. You know what this means? This means that Jesus wasn't a buzzkill. You know how some people light up a room when they leave it? Okay? That wasn't Jesus. These people loved spending time with Jesus. They loved to be around him, lost people. And it makes me ask the question, could the same be said of you? With people who are far away from a relationship with God, would they enjoy your company? Would they enjoy being in your presence or would they feel as if everything they did was being scrutinized? Would they feel as if they were being judged? Listen, people who are far away from God are going to act and live and behave like people far away from God. And that shouldn't surprise us. That shouldn't take us aback. It certainly shouldn't stop us from being friends with them. Now, this doesn't mean that we approve or affirm their lifestyles or the choices that they make. Jesus didn't do this. But I'm just underscoring this old picture of evangelism, right? It's been said that you can't clean a fish before you catch them. You gotta catch them first. And we need to be okay 
with people who don't know Jesus living and acting like people who don't know Jesus. And we need to love them through it. I get the feeling, and I get this from Scripture, that when sinners spent any time around Jesus, they didn't feel judged or looked down on, but instead they felt welcomed and they felt loved. And here, look at verse 10. According to verse 10, the tax collectors and sinners came. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Eating was such a significant act in the day of the Bible. It's still a significant act in much of the Eastern world. It's a statement of friendship. It's a statement of acceptance. Again, not accepting what someone may be living like, but it's an acceptance of, I care for you. You have value. You have worth. And therefore, I have time for you, and I'm interested in you. This is the great commandment. We're to love people who are far away from God. Uh, We had uh, this weekend, the Lanier Library had one of their lectures this weekend, and it was on apologetics. Mark actually lectured, did an incredible job uh, last evening, and on Friday they had a panel of theologians there to talk about apologetics. And one of the men on the panel was Daryl Bach, who's a New Testament scholar. Any pastor, any preaching student has probably read something by Daryl Bach. And he said something about winning people to Christ, about defending our faith, that it was so good, I wrote it down, and then I had to go back online and watch it again just to make sure that I got it right. But listen to what he said. He said the best apologetic, the best way to win people to Jesus is to be the relational people we have been called to be. He said it goes back to the great commandment, right? They go together. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And he said we don't work hard enough at understanding where the unbeliever is coming from and why. And that's true. We'll come back to that here in just a moment when we talk about listening. But we're, we're talking about people enjoying the company of Jesus, enjoying Our company, being in our presence. Dallas Willard, philosopher, said this, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. And I think this is why so many people who are far from God were attracted to Jesus. Because he was a religious man, a spiritual teacher, and yet he gave them his undivided attention. He spent time with them. Tomorrow we're hosting a little half a day workshop called Who's Your One? We've partnered with the North American Mission Board and they're going to be here. You are all invited. Uh, It's going to be mostly church leaders from the Houston area but in our student ministry building registration starts at around 8 o'clock. I believe the session starts at 9 but registration at 8. Who's Your One? It's all this idea what we're talking about in our blessed series where you've written down those names. That's your one that you're going after. That's the one that you're praying for. And tomorrow, we're gonna just talk about this. We've got three uh, speakers coming in. I'll be speaking, and it's just a day of equipping. It's a day of just talking more about what we're talking about here, getting into our neighborhoods, making sure that we're seeing our neighbors and our coworkers as people loved by God and just being on mission to love them and serve them in the name of Christ. And I'm gonna be talking about blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. I love that story there, talking about who's your one, talking about Jesus giving undivided attention. Here Jesus is on the last week of his life, and he's leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem. A week later, he's going to give his life. And in the midst of this crowd, the Bible says there's so many people there, but in the midst of this crowd, he hears one man cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And the whole passage hinges on verse 49 where it says, and Jesus stopped. Think about that. In a crowd of people on his way to give his life, the cry of one broken blind man stopped deity in his tracks. And Jesus said, call him. And he spent intentional time with him. One. Luke chapter 15, three parables. The big idea in that parable is that every one matters to God. The shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. The the lady of the house, she turned the house upside down to find that one lost coin. Those people that you have written down, they matter to God. That one matters. And what we see is that no one is too far away for Jesus to save. What we see is that those that are far away from God enjoyed company with the Son of God. And then third and finally, and we'll jump into the application, what we see is the mission of Jesus is to reach those who are far away. That's the mission of Jesus. A religious crowd, they can't understand why Jesus, a religious teacher, a holy man, is spending time with these tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus flat out tells them, Matthew 9, verse 12 and 13, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here, I love this because Jesus, he becomes the teacher to the teachers. These religious leaders, they would would have known the law backwards and forwards. They would have known the writings of the prophets. And here Jesus quotes The prophet Hosea. But he doesn't quote the whole verse. He just quotes part of it. Hosea 6.6, all of it says this. For I desire, God speaking, I desire steadfast love, i.e. mercy. And not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus, in effect, says, guys, you're missing the entire point of the law and the prophets. What you study and what you know inside and out, you're missing the big picture. If you know anything about the book of Hosea, you know God commands Hosea to marry a prostitute, someone that's totally unworthy of love. And yet in that picture, we see a picture of God's love toward his people. And what Jesus is saying here is if you really knew me, if you really had a knowledge of God, you would know that my heart is for people. I want people way more than I want a burnt offering. Way more than I want a sacrifice that you do in order to feel right before me in your self-righteousness. Jesus says, guys, these, guys, these people that I'm having dinner with, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. I came to show the lost. I came to show the broken. I, I came to show the despised of the world, the lowly of the world. These are the ones that, that don't think they matter in life. I'm here to show you they are a priority to God. These are the ones I'm after. I'm calling sinners to repentance. And I'm telling them the kingdom of God is for them, for people who know they don't deserve it, know they could never earn it. I just love this story of Matthew reaching his friends. It shows the heart of Jesus. 
And you know what else it shows? And this is, a, this is a real temptation. It's a real danger, especially for those who have been followers of Christ for a really long time. It shows the danger of staying in our holy huddles and never breaking barriers to pursue the mission of Jesus, which was to seek and save the lost. You were never brought into a relationship with God to sit in a church, soak up teaching, and wait for the return of Jesus. You were saved, called by God, so he could set you apart and you could be salt and light. You could be his witnesses in a world that desperately needs it. This is why you were saved. He saved you for a mission. And we've got to be aggressive in this. We've got to be relentless in this. We've got to keep thinking about and praying. God, we will do whatever it takes, short of sin. We'll do whatever it takes, anything in our power, to come alongside you in your mission. Now, we know that it's God that saves. Salvation is God's and God's alone. Only he can remove the scales from people's eyes. Only he can soften a heart. Only he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can draw people to himself. But we have been called to get in on this mission and help cultivate the hearts of men by serving them and loving them and caring for them. And we're going to talk about serving and sharing with them next week. But we have been called to get in on this mission with Jesus, to go into the world and tell people of his wonderful gospel. This is what the blessed challenge is all about about. And so last week we started with begin with prayer. Very practical. You're just going to pray every day for those names that you have listed on your list. We gave you those three prayers to pray over them, six prayers to pray for yourself. Today, very practical, talking about listening and eating based off of this passage of scripture. Let me give you three quick points of application and they will be quick. Number one is this, develop genuine friendships with people who are far away from Jesus. Develop genuine friendships. They should be the people on your list. We want to move them from acquaintance to a friend that, at a distance to bring them closer in. Now, if you don't know lost people, that's your assignment. Get to know them. Go to that same restaurant every week and get to know that waiter that's there. Um, go, go, go and start uh, getting to know your neighbors around you. If you don't know, get involved in your, your kid's school where you know there are people there that don't know Jesus or on your rec team or on your kid's rec team. And once you have that person, you begin praying for them and this begins the process of building a genuine friendship with them. And the best way to build a genuine friendship is to simply listen to them. Talk less, listen more, and a great question is, hey, tell me more about that. Ask them about themselves, where they grew up, what they do, what their likes are, their dislikes. People love talking about themselves. So you just keep feeding those questions. Listening shows you care. Maybe you combine that listening. Again, this is gonna take time, but maybe you combine that listening with sharing a meal. And this is the point of application number two. Share a meal with those you're praying for and building a genuine friendship with. All right, now here's where it gets fun. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, Jared, come on. I want to have people over at my house. It's a wreck. 
look, that's better. You know, when there's clothes on the kitchen table and somebody comes over, that shows you're normal, all right? That's good. It lowers the guard. Now, now if you're a hoarder, okay, if you're a hoarder and, and you've got cats running around, you've got to get that fixed, okay, before you have anybody over. You've got to get that fixed. <laughs> I'm just, you ever seen those hoarder shows? They always have cats, every one of them, all right? So the point is, Look, don't complicate this. You don't have to have them over to your house. Go out to eat. Bringing them in, though, does something. Uh, you don't have to prepare a three-course meal. You can go get a Chick-fil-A nugget tray. That Man, talk about winning with Jesus. Who doesn't like Chick-fil-A nuggets? So go get, a, go get dinner out, whatever it may be. The point is you're just trying to love them. You're just trying to have a genuine friendship with them. So you're bringing them into your world. So you want to be real, you want to be transparent. Again, the goal is to just build this genuine friendship. That's all there is to it. Henry Nouwen said this, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. That's what the blessed challenge is all about. In fact, today when you leave here, uh, we have in our lobby our missions team, and we've put together neighborhood kits Maybe you want to just say, you know what, there's safety in numbers. I'm not just going to invite one neighbor over. I'm going to invite them all over. I'm going to have a neighborhood party. Well, we've got a neighborhood party kit out there, all right? They're called party packs. Just go get them. And uh, you'll, you'll scan this code. We'll get your name. And then we're going to follow up with you. And it's got a little pack in there about just some what, what, to do, some guidelines, if you will. We want to help you. You know, if, if, this, if I had to name this uh, sermon, if it wasn't part of the blessed message, I would, that's what I would have called it. I would have called it house party because that's what, that's what Matthew does. He gets to his house and he has all his friends over because he wants to introduce them to Jesus. And this is the third point of application. And that is this, at the right time, at the right time, and that's key, introduce those you're praying for and sharing meals with to Jesus. At the right time, this takes wisdom. It takes discernment. Again, when you're developing a friendship, man, don't get them over there and, and have your gospel presentation ready to go and that's the first thing that you want to get out and you just get it all out. That, you don't do that. Be friends with them. Ask questions. Get to know them. They may not be ready for that gospel conversation. Listen, I, I've shared with you the story before of my brother. 17 years I prayed for my brother to come to know Jesus. And I would oftentimes try to start a conversation. You know what he'd say? Save it, Jarrett. Save it. He didn't want anything to do with it. He wasn't ready. And if I would have pushed him, I would have pushed him further away. So I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And ultimately, God saved him after 17 years. Mark was talking about last night in his lecture. Ten years ago, he wrote down the name, just what we're doing right here, of a person that he was going to be praying for. It took ten years for that person to come to know Christ before that conversation ensued. And so you've got to have wisdom, discernment. When do I bring Jesus up? When do I introduce him? Going back to Daryl Bach, I'm paraphrasing him right here, but here's what he said last night, just talking about that winning apologetic. He said, most people who come to know Christ, you talk to them, they'll tell you it started with meeting a Christian and over time seeing that Christian live out their faith in an authentic way till ultimately that person said, what's different about you? Why? Because what? There's just a genuine friendship. They walked through life together. Saw how they made decisions, how they spent their money, how they spent their vacations, how they raised their kids, how they worked. And just in being salt and light and letting God use you, it opens up 
and allows people to ask the question. This is it. It's the power of listening and eating. It's the power of having a genuine friendship with someone who is far away from God. That's what we're talking about. Begin with prayer. Listen and eat. And then next week, we're going to talk about serving and sharing. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go out and we're going to write on the lobby floor names of people that we're praying for to come to know Christ. Our staff met at 7.30 this morning and we did this. I wrote down the name of a waiter of a restaurant that I frequent. I go nearly every week. I go in, he's got my Coke Zero waiting on me. He knows me. He knows I'm a preacher and he knows I'm coming after him. He knows it. He knows I tip him really good too. But I'm praying. I got another name of a young lady on there that I'm sharing Christ with and I'll just, you know, keep it privately on what she does because she may be here. She knows I've been inviting her to church and I never want, we never want these people to feel like projects. If you're here today and you don't know, you don't know Jesus in a personal way, you're not a project to us. You're a person made in the image of God. And you're a person that Jesus died for. And we want you to experience the love and grace and mercy of God that we've experienced. That's why we want you to know him in a personal way. Wrote down the name of my neighbor who I met. And he's a widower. I don't know where he is spiritually, but I believe with all my heart God moved me into that neighborhood so that I could be a witness to this man. And I'm praying for him to come to know Jesus. Who are you going to write down? We're going we're to pray. We're going to have our time of invitation. And then we're going to go out. We're going to write these names. And as we're writing these names, we're going to say, God, as I write this name on this floor, I'm asking you to write their name in the Lamb's Book of Life one day. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.